Hey, Mike Ulmer here. The great Mark Pettipaw lent me this space to remind you that now is a great time to write your nonfiction book. I've interviewed 10,000 people. I've written 19 books, and I want to help you write yours. Here's how we do it. First, we interview you. Then we give you a detailed step-by-step blueprint for your book based on that interview. We write your thousand-word introduction, throw in some cover ideas, and suggest a title. And here's the best part. We assign a writer to help you answer all your questions for a calendar year. You're going to be so sick of us. Click the link, I want to write my book, in Mark's show notes for a free consultation. At the very least, we'll help you find your story and send you on your way free of charge. Now it's on to lessons in leadership from the stockroom to the boardroom with my friend, Mark Pettipa. You are following the Lessons in Leadership podcast with Mark Pettipa, where we bring on multiple guests to share their stories about their growth and life and leadership. How'd they fail? How'd they succeed? What can you learn from it? No bullshit, real stories. Brought to you by www.markpetipod.com. Enjoy this episode of Lessons in Leadership. So my guest on this Lessons in Leadership podcast is Anton Wimmer. I am like pumped, dude, to have you on this podcast. One, I haven't seen you in so long. Um, Two, my God, like I don't think I've gotten a response on LinkedIn for like comments and likes and views. Anything close to announcing a guest like I got for you. So I'm excited that people are looking forward to this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, that was really overwhelming and, and humbling. And and uh, it was really cool to see so many people that I actually haven't seen in a long, a long while, like like Bill and Carl. How do you know Carl? Carl Boutet and I went to CJEP together at Champlain College in St. Lambert. It was the last secondary education that I actually passed and completed. I was going to tease you about being a golden gale, but I'm only like three quarters of a Concordia stinger. <laughs> I, I got nothing on you education-wise. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't do that really all that great at school, but I got through it. And I think I, I actually spent more time working than I did actually studying. But uh, I think my education was a great mixture of, you know, the formal part, but like really great friends. And then also uh, I had three different jobs during the university that, I thought gave me a really good head start for for the work world. Cool. Well, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. But, but before we jump in, I, I want to do a little intro and and you tell me what I forget. You know, Anton, you and I met, gosh, way back in probably 2006. Um, I was I had been at MLSE for a few years before as director of consumer products, and you had joined the organi- organization as they were starting up TFC. You were you were a day oneer. It was it was you and and my my wife today, Jody, Jody May at the time, were the first two employees other than people that worked already in the building. So like, I think you were the first TFC guy to work with Paul and, and Jody was the first BMO field employee working with Vince. Uh, and I remember just the two of you in this empty space on the, I think it was the seventh floor of 40 Bay, but you kind of started at, at the first level in sales and, and, and your careers progressed to an account manager with TFC for sales and service to a director of sales and retention to TFC, to a senior director of membership retention and fan services, sorry, member retention and fan services, and now senior director of sales for MLSC, where you've got all the properties um, as accountability for sales, TFC, TML, Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto Raptors, Raptors 905, the Marlies. Um, it's a big role, uh, but you've, 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 you're kind of like, 
When I talk about people who work their way up within an organization to a role of leadership, somewhere along the line, they get stuck or they don't get set up for success because they can sell really well, but they can't teach others to sell and they can't lead and develop. And, and you've made that jump. So I absolutely want to talk about this evening, but what have I forgotten, man, uh, from a career? Did I get everything? You know what? You, you missed, I did about a year selling Leafs and Raptors before I moved over to TFC. So my first role, Tom Anselmi, Paul Byrne, and, and Tom McDonald hired me to work on the, uh, what they called the service team back then, but it was anything but just service. We did, we did all the retaining and then we had kind of new business targets, group sales targets, partial back targets. So I did that for about a year before I moved over to TFC. And I remember I met Kevin Matchett, who was the, the sales manager of TFC at my brother's wedding. And we kind of hit it off that night. And so shortly after that, he moved over. I think he had already was in the middle of a transition or had already just recently transitioned over. And uh, we hit it off. And he said he was looking for somebody who was going to help him with the the leadership, the operations a little bit. Um, and he, he was looking for some ex- some somebody with had a little bit more experience within MLSE because everybody else, uh, other than Paul Byrne, and Sherilyn Kenworthy, actually, yeah, Sherilyn, yeah. uh, everybody else had, had uh, was brand new, which was really baffling to me that that nobody else wanted to move from MOSC proper or selling the Leafs and the Raptors over to Toronto FC. And I always saw it being just a really great opportunity to um, to try something a little bit different that was more aligned with my interests. I was a, I was a, I'm a soccer person kind of at heart. Um, and then also the fact that there were so many better salespeople than me, you know, and, and none of them really were interested in moving over to TFC. So I kind of put my hand up seeing a, an opportunity to, to learn something new, but also maybe jumpstart my, my career in the leadership space. Awesome. So like where, where others maybe weren't signing up for it because there was, you know, the, the profile of the lease and the Raptors was strong and you, and you don't want to leave that certainty other people are wired to say, hey, there's an opportunity to go be a part of some, starting something new and I could learn and grow from that position. And, 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 and you chased it. And good for you because it's worked out. So, hey, before, thank you for closing that gap for me. And I tease you about being a Golden Gale. So, you know, you're, you're a Queens guy and, and I, I cannot chirp you at all uh, because, again, I went to Concordia and didn't finish. But good for you. Great background in your education. Um, you've also done some philanthropic work where I've seen, you know, just researching you a little bit. I didn't know this about you, Anton. I feel like I knew you going into this. Um, you're on the steering committee for the All for One Cup for Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital. Are you still doing that or is that in your past? Well, I would have been a part of it this year if we had had it. Um, right. And so that that would have been a partnership within um, our charitable branch within the MLSE Foundation. And so, as I said, soccer was kind of my, my passion. And so to be able to have an opportunity to donate a little bit more time to, to grow the sport, but also support just a really, really great cause, a really great organization, well, I jumped, I jumped at that opportunity. Good for you. That's awesome. Giving back's important. So that's awesome. Good for you. Absolutely. Oh, hey, listen, man, before we jump into all the leadership stuff, I haven't seen you in forever. And and here we are in COVID and we're doing like this Zoom interview. Uh, we got to have a pint, right? We talked about this. So what are you, yeah, what are you, yeah. what are you drinking? What's in front of you? So I am, um, I never heard about this beer, but I moved to Port Credit two years ago. And there's this beer, little, little brewery called Old Credit Brewing Company. And they only brew 
three types of beer, an amber, a pilsner, and a honey. And so it was so far off my radar, and now it's my favorite beer. So I have the amber tonight, and I'll be pouring it into a pint glass because, I mean, that's the only way to to do it. What do you got going on over there? Well, I have this um, little-known beer from this little, little brewery in, in, in Ireland. Oh, my goodness. Very good. But I'm, I'm pouring it in in honor of our beginning together into a Carlsberg glass because Carlsberg was our first beer at BMO Field, if you recall now, correctly. Wasn't that patio something else when, oh, wow. when, when we started up there? The, the best story I have about that patio, and there are many, as you know, I was a rookie figuring it out myself as the GM at BMO Field, and, and Bob Hunter was holding my hand. But Bob was in Colorado for MLS All-Star that year when we had the Under-20 World Cup. Uh, towards the end of the tournament, he was out there with Vince, and I was back at BMO with, with Jody and Curtis and the whole team. And there was this guy who was a fan for Chile, and they call him El Cordito, I think, which is like a chicken head. And he was a pain in the ass the entire tournament. This guy, like, we wanted to throw him out so bad so many times, but he, he never crossed that line, you know, but he told people off. He was really rude. He was walking around the pitch. So <laughs> the, the big controversial game where Chile and Argentina got into it and all that stuff happens, and then our, uh, Chile comes back to play in what I believe is the third-place game, having lost in the semis to Argentina. Anyways, this guy's there, and, and he's being rude as always. So he's sitting at halftime <laughs> in the north end patio, and he takes off the chicken head. And the guys who aren't playing are kicking balls, and he gets drilled right in the face. Oh, uh, no way. And I'm just like, there's karma, buddy. That was, that was one of my best stories. That and the guy who um, kind of ran around the pitch and had some difficulties controlling himself as we walked him off the pitch. <laughs> some, Ooh, that's, that's a messy situation. It was, but yeah, there was some good, you guys did such an amazing job with that experience in that stadium. Hey, cheers. Yeah, cheers, pal. Nice, nice seeing you. Nice talking to you. Okay, I have to shut off this fan here. Yep. There we go. So that patio, they said that that was that was a real differentiator for us, and I thought so too. I thought it was I thought it was the best patio experience in the city when we had that, and with all the green, it really stood out. And I find myself spending more time there than I did, you know, anywhere else in the entire stadium. And you know, we had access to pretty much anywhere we wanted, but the vibe there was just something something else and it continues to be a differentiator you know from a from a product standpoint within the city yeah i always love the fact that the fans in the patio who were certainly there to enjoy the environment want to have a pint they were still watching the game like they're still like deeply involved in the product while still enjoying you know normally you hear about patios and sports stadiums and and people are out there more for the party than to watch the game and that wasn't the case with tfc but that was Love to get into that a little bit through these questions and your experiences, but it was such a cool experience to be a part of from the beginning, and, and you guys built it on the, on the ticket sales side. It was it was tremendous what you created, and of course, the fans. Well, what do you say, right? Like, I mean, they built it. Like, I, I say, you guys built it from getting them into the building, but man, did they have such a huge part of building that experience in that stadium. It was so cool to be a part of. Yeah, well. They and they also gave you a, a rip-roaring good time, and you were a great sport about it. But you're right. The, some of the supporters groups and even, even the non-support, like designated supporters people, 
I'm still pretty close with today. And, and I don't really work as close with uh, that business as I used to in terms of um, on the retention side, but just phenomenal people and people who really cared about the sport, cared about it being successful, cared about you and I. It was a yeah. real two-way relationship with, with our fans. And I think it really continues to be. Uh, they're, they're just a great, great bunch of people to, to, to see every Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I've, I've, I've developed relationships with quite a few of them. We're still friends on Facebook. Like, you almost forget that that's how we met. Um, and I, I'll never forget, I took my parents to Shoeless Joe's after one of the games. Um, right. And uh, it was predominantly the Red Patch boys in there that night. Um, they were so tremendous to my mom and dad, like so classy. Like, you know, they give me the gears at the game with the suit. There it is. And getting on me a little bit, but they were always so classy and so cool with my family. So yeah, great, great, great bunch of people and such a unique experience in Toronto for sports. But let's talk. I know this isn't a comfortable position for you because you're not a guy who really likes to talk about himself a whole heck of a lot, but I'm going to put you in that position tonight. And and from the context of like sharing examples and stories that are going to help someone else. So, you know, please share as much as you can you know, in the context of you, and I know, again, that's not comfortable, but it's really about helping other people. So let's start a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, I normally follow a path, but I, we've kind of actually covered off a couple of the questions already. Um, but talk to me as you were going through that journey functionally to leadership, right, from selling tickets all the way up to being accountable to teams, delivering significant revenue targets, experience targets, etc. What have you learned along the way from other leaders? So before we get into your DNA and, and what you believe in and, and how you operate it from a leadership perspective, what did you learn, good or bad, or along the way that's kind of helped you become who you are? If I can think back to the first les- lesson of leadership that I've ever had, I'm going to say the name Doug Reed. Hmm. Okay. Now, Doug Reed was a professor for the Queen School of Business. Now, I did not go to Queen School of Business. I am not even close to being that intelligent. I worked for the Queen School of Business and I was working on their lifestyle program. Essentially, I was bringing balance to, to the educational experience. They do four hours of schooling, I'd go take them rock climbing. They do another four hours of schooling, I would take them, I don't know, for a run. And so Doug, Doug Reed, you know, we would spend a lot of time together because he was one of the professors and he was one of the mainstay professors. He was there a lot. And so I would pick his brain. And one of the things that he always told me that really stuck with me, and now we're talking almost 20 years later, said, nobody's too tall to pick up the luggage. And what he meant by that was everybody needs to play a part in execution. Leaders lift. And I really, really liked that. And I (laughs) candidly, I didn't really know what he meant at the time. And I didn't really know what the impact would be. but you know, I, I, I grew up being, uh, being a hard worker. Um, that was something that my dad instilled in me. And so it resonated with me at a young age as I was just kind of understanding that there was a world outside of this bubble of Kingston, uh, a world outside of potentially being a high school teacher. And it really has stuck with me. And I think I've used that quote and quoted Doug Reed for it. Oh, I don't know, at least once a month, because I think it really represents what leaders do. It's, it's they play an equal share and they're, and they, and they, and they lead and leaders lift. And so I, I'd say that would be one. As we go down the road a little bit, you know, a mutual friend of ours is Paul Byrne. Awesome guy. Just a great, 
just a great human being. And, and, and what, and I would, he had so much time for me. And so I think candidly, if I could be critical of Paul, I think he probably gave me responsibility of leadership early. Uh, and so I, while I appreciated the gesture, I think I needed a lot of handholding along the way. And his, his, his office was always open. And, and if you were to speak to some of my, my colleagues who are still with us who worked at TFC, you'd probably think they would say that I spent a lot of time in there. And if I were to reflect, I would say so. But Paul always had his door open to me. And sometimes I can, I can be a little bit of a, uh, the world would be like mad scientist. So I'd come in and I'd have all these ideas and he would, and he did such a great job at like filtering it, focusing me and then sending me off on my way. So he was just, a, he taught me how to, how to trust, taught me how to listen. He also taught me about the, the importance of autonomy. And so he would let me go and he would let me fail. And then I'd come back and, and, and he was never really all that hard on me. I was always harder on myself. And so I'd say he was really great with me. And then I once had this other boss who, and again, it was early in my leadership journey who, and again, I didn't know what I was learning at the time, but taught me how to give hard feedback. And I actually alluded it to a little bit, a little bit in the, in the thread on, on LinkedIn. So I had a boss who, who brought me in, sat me down, told me exactly what my behavior was that was incorrect told me why it was misaligned with the way we do our job and what our objectives are in the culture of the, of the, of the organization. And then gave me a correction on, on how to, how to move forward and how to, how to repair it. And I was devastated after that. I thought I was going to lose my job. And I, it was a job that I really loved. And I, and I thought I was really good at. And, and so I took their, their feedback. I took their advice. And I bounced back the next session. I got this award. Again, I'll never forget. It's my first recognition in a corporate environment. It was a, it was a green helmet award. And it was for, you know, the, the top contributor for, for a three-week session. And, and, and it was a really, it, was, it felt like a lot of redemption for me. And so, but I remember that lesson on how that three-point feedback was something that I learned even before I knew, you know, what it was or why it was important. Got a got a name you want to share, or is that staying confidential? Oh no, um, Lori um, Garnier. Cool, Lori Garnier. Yeah, and she was also so. Two of my lessons came really, really early from that experience at at at, uh, at Queen School of Business. So it's really interesting. Amazing. I I love that whole piece of like, um, I love what you said about. And first of all, I'm a Paul Byrne fan. I just never tell him. Yeah, don't. I think it. him and I have teased each other from day one at BMO Field, probably because it went back to me saying, don't give out seat cushions. Right. And he said, no one's going to throw it on the field. Don't give out. He knew they were going to throw him on the field. <laughs> he just wanted the stadium guy to leave him alone. Right. <laughs> and so I've always had this back and forth of events like that at teasing Paul, but I've always admired him. Um, he's a brilliant leader. When I started the sidebar and Paul, I mean, this is about you and here I am talking about Paul. When I started at MLSC and Consumer Products, ticket sales at that time for Raptors was on the third floor at 40 Bay. And yeah, they were down the hall from us. And I swear to God, I was two months in and hadn't talked to the guy and he came along and he just said, you know, your team's responding really well to your leadership style. I'm like, Thank you. He goes, yeah, I've, I've known a lot of these guys for a long time and I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it and, and welcome. And I thought that's really cool. 
And then he gained my trust and like ribbed me for the next six years. But that's a whole different story, right? But but Paul's one of those guys who does, is always doors always open. There's no there's no secret to where that man's been successful. He's he's brilliant and he's nice and he encourages people to kind of learn, right? So, um, but I love the the Lori piece. Sorry to go back, Anton. Thank you. I love that she gave you some hard feedback. She identified a gap. She told you the expected behavior. Um, she got you there. It's she. I keep saying Lori. And Lori can be a guy as well. She. I don't know Lori. Um, and you recovered. And you had success. And I'm I'm sure that allowed you to continue to repeat that behavior because you got it right. And so that is that's that's the job of a leader. Sometimes you just don't have to be a jerk while you do it. Yeah, they were they were. And it was Lori, and it was a gentleman by the name of Ryan Stonis as well. Who I think he really, I think he really fought for me to have that job. I don't know. And if you, if you're listening to this, Ryan, I'd love to know if it was you who, who, uh, who, who actually vouched for me to to join the group. But yeah, they both sat me down, and it was uh, it was it was a tough talk. But it, day, it's been you know I, I don't know nearly a decade and a half later, and, and it's been a it was a really important lesson to me. So amazing, great people, great people that I were able was able to learn from. Any. Now, any- before you go, I, I, you were talking about Paul, and, I, and again, I, I, a vision came into my head of the two of you. So the two of you were the, the two kind of heads of the organization, right? You, you, you were the building head, and Paul was kind of the business and soccer side. And so I, I'll never forget how many times I like walked by one of your offices, and you two would be looking at each other and having a conversation, and it looked like you two were solving the world's problems, <laughs> right? And, <laughs> And I'll, I'll never forget that I remember that. And I always remember wondering, like, what were these, what were these two guys talking about? Because it seemed so important. And so, anyways, you, you probably didn't even know about that. But I thought, I thought very highly of you and, and, both, and both you and Paul at the time. And you, running, you both ran really, really great organizations when we were working out of BMO Field there. I appreciate that. I, I, you know, I, full credit to Paul. Like, the stadium was there to support the team. Um, but he never, meant me fe- he never made me feel that way. I think that's why I trusted him so much. It was very much a partnership. But when push comes to shove, you know, the stadium is the fan experience, and that's critical from our eyes, and we're always going to protect that. And, and, you know, we've got to worry about egress and fire marshals and and all bunch of stuff that I don't even know as well as my team does. Um, But really, we're not the show. The team is the show. Um, But Paul never made any of us feel that way. I think the stadium staff loved him as much as you guys did. But, you know, we've given him way too much credit for one podcast, Anton. We can't can't do this anymore. Yeah, I totally agree. He was being (laughs) fun, So if you're listening to this, Paul, call me. Yeah, we take it all back, Paul. You're not that smart. (laughs) You're a bit of a jerk, too. (laughs) Great, great, great choice in vans, though. In in vans? In vans. Is is Beetle Volkswagen... uh, is that thing still running? I don't. I don't know. That's <laughs> who knows. Probably. Um, so let's let's before we shift to maybe a little bit uh, something a little more personal uh, about personal influences on your leadership style. We talked about experiences and, and and leaders you've worked with. Any bad leaders? And of course, I don't want you to step up and mention anybody. Um, right. But is there any bad display you've heard of, observed that you've that you've learned from? I'll give you an example. You know, I've I've been lucky, man. I've I've worked for the the Richard Petties, the Bob Hunters, the Lisa Larders, the Jackie Foos, the Sean Keepers, Lee Piccoli's, all these people that I've worked for. But I have had a couple bad experiences and I actually learned. Okay, here's how that impacted people. I know that person didn't mean it. They're not a bad person, but here's how that behavior is showing up. 
I won't repeat that. Do you have any examples of that you might want to share where you've learned from, from bad leadership behaviors? So, you've been at MLSC your whole career. I just realized what I just yeah, asked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been surrounded with really, really great, really great mentors and really great people. I yeah. think... I think there are people have bad moments. I don't know that I can characterize somebody as a like a, calling somebody a bad leader or or having a bad like that's big. That's pretty that's pretty big. And so I think everybody has moments, good moments and bad. I think I also think about leadership. I think there's a type of leader for a ter- certain type of time and a certain type of people, right? And so. Like, for example, my, my leadership type, the way I approach leadership may be good for a group today and, and may not be good for a group, the same group doing the same type of um, sales, but in a different landscape or a, the same job with a, a different mix of human beings mm-hmm. or the job has changed and, and the focus is different. And so what I, I've never really tried to use the word bad leader. I just the right leader at the right time. And so if I were to comment on, on your question, I would say that that's kind of my, my, my philosophy is that I think when people have leadership traits, I think they are different than others. And there's a right leader at the right time in the right circumstance. And so I would, I, that's kind of my perspective on that. So yeah, no. like, I'll give you an example is, is, you know, when TFC went from a product that was really, really was sold out every game to one that wasn't and that needed a lot of work. If I didn't evolve my leadership style and my functional strength from being a pretty decent relationship person um, that could maximize yield and sell out all the inventory to somebody who could lead a sales team that had to go out and acquire new business, I would have been the, I would have been a bad leader for that business. And so I had to evolve in my perspective in the way that way that I led and, 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 and choosing the right people for the, for the team, for the business circumstance. And so again, I was fortunate enough that I was given the opportunity to kind of evolve and to evolve the team over, over time. So yeah, I, my, 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 to sum it all up, I think it's the right leader at the right time with the right people and, and anything sort of that may be perceived as, as a bad leader, but may not be. Very, very well said. Um, I have learned something in a short 27 minutes with you. You know, you, you had that ability to take what could be perceived as a negative question um, and add value and turn it into a positive, right? And so really, you know, I loved your point. And again, I wasn't really maybe looking for a bad leader versus a bad behavior. And I think you nailed it. We've all had those moments as leaders. Yeah. When we were open at BMO Field, I ripped the whole staff apart at like midnight one night. And I sat there in my office after I've told this on CJ's podcast and I just sat there and I cried. Like I just literally sat there and said, what have I done to these people? Like I'm an asshole. <laughs> like, and that you're right. If someone would have looked at Mark Pitt upon that moment and judged the rest of my career that way, that wouldn't have been fair. I think now granted I've had a couple slip ups along the way, but I, but I think I've tried to correct that behavior. So I love that you did that and you turned that around. And I do love your point that I hope people take away from this is I believe leaders have a shelf life. Um, and again, not because they're less effective at what they do and it's less impactful, but that has a certain amount of runway and then things change. You know, I, I get a six year itch. Like I just really do. You usually don't see me stay anywhere for five to six years. Cause I come in, I train behaviors. I believe I have an impact. Um, 
I can influence an organization to deliver and let everybody win so people can grow and, and the organization. But then that style is like, Kevin, listening to it for five or six years, it's, it's time for a different voice. Um, and I love that you address that because that's hard for a leader to acknowledge sometimes. Sometimes we're just not the right fit. It doesn't make us a bad leader. Oh, exactly. And, and, and in respect to you, because you recognize maybe when you were, when you had bad behaviors and you owned it and you learned from it, because we, we all do that. We're, we're human beings. We, we, we are in high pressure environments and, and we have to make split decisions, split second decisions. And sometimes emotion can be, can take over. And so this is like, this is a cocktail of things that we're working with as leaders that we're going to make mistakes. And so as soon as you put up your hand and say, that was wrong, I'm sorry, this is what I learned from that. I think most of the time, all is forgiven. Your team will actually probably respect you more for owning up to it and, and, and apologizing. Yeah, I think vulnerability is a big thing, but it's like anything in life. You can't continuously repeat the behavior. Uh, they'll only get you out of jail so many times. And then people are like, okay, I can't, I appreciate the apology, but it's not sincere because you're not changing the behavior, right? So well said. So let's, let's shift a little bit, if you don't mind, and talk to me a little bit about family or friends. Um, you know, I, I tell the story, like for me as a leader, there's two things that are in my DNA that I'm never going to lose. It's just, it's never going to come out of my style. I never do it enough service, but one's my dad. He's disciplined. He was in the military. It's about getting stuff done and getting it done on time. And my mom was life of the party. Make sure everybody's smiling. Do whatever it takes to make that happen. And, and, and that's in my leadership DNA. Do you have that? Do you have something you can point to at this point in your life and say, I learned that from a family member. I learned that from a friend and I'm never letting that go. Of course. I tell, mean, tell, tell us about that. So I think a really good place to start would be my mom. And I think, I think she taught me, I think she taught me about manners and, and being respectful to other people. At a really, really young age, uh, being respectful to human beings was grilled into us. And so, you know, that's carried right out throughout. Like I, and and I've, I've taken her learnings, which, which was about kind of almost respecting thine elders and, and, and said, and involved it to say, just respect everybody as, as humans and respect everybody and treat them well. And so I think my mom was, was paramount in, in those values. I think my dad taught me, my dad obviously taught me about work. My dad worked really hard. My dad had at any given point, probably a career, a side job, and then sometimes another side job. So I remember at one time, he was a, um, a, a prison warden, sorry, not a warden, a, like an assistant warden slash guard. A, he built houses or, and had like some construction rules and then old owned, excuse me, two golden griddles in Kingston, Ontario. Wow. And so he really taught me the value of, of working hard. And he put us to work at a really young age as well. And so in doing so, it actually taught me how to be creative. So he would say, here is this pile of work to do, rocks to move, wood to cut, or whatever. And I would try to figure out the most creative way to get that done as quickly as I possibly could. Yeah. So I could go out and do something fun. Yeah. And so I actually take that with me today. I, 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 see, it, I see a problem. And I understand that there's a way that you can address that problem. And there's probably a way that 
eight times out of 10, seven times out of 10, a tried and true way to, to solve a problem. But I try to look at problems at multiple angles to see if possibly there's a more efficient way of doing it, a more fun way of doing it, or, or a way that could possibly create other, other business opportunities. I would finally say my wife, Sylvie. So I don't, I don't have a lot of uh, business pedigree. I, I, I again, I, I, I took phys ed, which, which, um, you know, doesn't, we didn't deal with business a lot. I grew up in a really small, small town and we didn't really talk about business a lot. My mom was a, a school teacher and my dad, well, we know what, what he did. And so I, when I started with Toronto FC, it was probably, we, we've known each other for about 12 years. My wife is, really taught me about communication, clear communication and writing. My wife is the best writer. She is such a strong writer and she's such a strong communicator. And so I've, I've, I've observed the way she communicates. She gives me feedback on communication and I think I'm still a work in progress on effective communication, but she's somebody who's definitely influenced how I speak, how I communicate ideas, how I may communicate a strategy or how I may possibly even ask questions to understand problems even deeper. I, I would say between um, your wife, your mom, and your dad, that's a pretty good trifecta of skills as a leader to have, right? Like if, if, you, if you start with respect from your mom, I mean, you have to start there and, and you owe it to people. It's granted as a leader. It's different than trust. Respect is something different. People can lose it, but you got to grant it to them when they start. So that must set you off in the right foot. You got to be able to obviously communicate with your team. There's no doubt about it. And then you got to be like your dad. You got to be able to hustle and get stuff done, um, do what it takes, and then you know create that learning gap that you had. So you had this incentive to get something done so you could go do something else. But the reality was you were always trying to find a creative way to learn your way through that process to be more effective. And you've got to create that for your team. Um, those are three real strong things to anchor on from the people in your life. So you're pretty lucky. Oh, and, and I didn't even go into you know my brothers and my sister and. Uh, I'd like to think that I, I, with every human being and every relationship that I have, my friends, I'm really, really close with, with my friend group. And with every single relationship that I, that I have, I try to take a little bit of something away from way, the way do they, they do things and, and, the, and their perspective. I feel like we can learn so much from other people as long as our, our, our antennas are up and we're vulnerable enough to, to, to know that our cup isn't full and there's still much, much room to have. So I could literally take the rest of this time and talk about all the phenomenal people in my life who I've learned from and, and, and I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful for the human beings in my life. It's amazing. You know, it's, it's funny. Like when you, when you go, when you sit back and you think about it and, I, and I'm sure you're a reflective guy and I'm sure you do this, but you know, one of the things I spent the last probably five years of my mom's life and then certainly the remaining seven years of my dad's after that um, eight years of my dad's was I made sure I told him all this stuff. Like, and it took me a long time in life to figure that out. And, and, and I made sure they knew how they impacted my life. Um, so I'm sure you do that. If anyone's listening, if you, if someone asked you the same question, you'd speak that way of your parents. I challenge you to say, when's the last time you set them down and told them? Um, cause that would mean everything being a parent, as you know, to know that your kids view you that way. So that's amazing. Good for you. And, and sounds like you have great parents. I heard Jack Armstrong say the same thing. I was on a panel a few, a few weeks ago and it was, it was one of the best panels I've ever been a part of cause it was raw and it was real and it was emotional. And Jack was, was speaking about his mom 
And I think he had, he definitely had the panel kind of choked up a little bit and the, the hundred or so guests that we have, I, I think he moved everybody, but you're absolutely right. And, and you know, if I were to have, if I ever have a regret, so my dad, my dad passed away about two years ago oh, and, and, and I don't know if I did a really great job of, of uh, when he was alive of telling him that, but uh, my mom, on the other hand, I'm, I, ever since Jack said that a few weeks ago, I've been thinking about that and I'm spending, spending more time on video calls with my mom. And, and so you're absolutely right. Telling, telling the people that we love why we love them and how they've impacted our lives is, is a really, uh, is a really important thing. Well, I'm sorry about your father. Um, I didn't you. know that. Um, thank you for answering the question anyways, cause it's a, it's a difficult question with even more of that context, but I'm sure he saw how you behaved as a human being. And, and that was plenty of thanks knowing that he, he played a role in that. So that that's amazing. What a great influence to have in your life. And again, sorry, sorry. I didn't know you had lost your dad a couple of years ago, Anton. Oh, thank, thank you for that. I, and, and same to you. I know that between the last couple of times that we've, that we've spoken, you've lost both your parents. Your, yeah. Your and brother. A brother. Yeah, yeah. My dad and my brother in the same year, it sucked. Well, that must have been really, obviously, really, really challenging for you. Yeah, it was. But, you know, honestly, um, I think the life they lived, like, it's, it's, it's very easy to move on and honor them um, because you know that they'd be kicking you in the ass if you didn't continue on. Like, right. for me, like, I grieved. Uh, Christmases get tough. Because um, my brother was a guitar player and played music for the family. And anyways... It's easy to move on because you know they'd be sitting there saying, okay, smarten up, dummy. You got kids. Live your life. Come on. We, we did our time. Let's go. It's yours now. Leave something behind, right? So, yeah, it's tough, but it's it's life. And if you have good influences, you, you got to move on and pay it forward, right? So, well, okay, maybe we need another drink. No, I'm just teasing. Um, <laughs> let's Enough of the family talk. My gosh. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your philosophy as a leader. And, and I know that's always a difficult question because some people are in the midst of defining it. It's always changing. I, I love how Simon Sinek refers to the infinite game. Like there's not an end point and you're not going to win. You've got to get better every day because the game keeps going on. But if I challenged you on that, Anton, and said, could you share a little bit of your philosophy and how you lead? Could, could you break that down in, in, in how you allow others to achieve success? What does that look like as a leader? So I think I've had dozens of leadership philosophies throughout my growth. Um, a couple of them have stuck with me. And whenever I start with a new group, I, when I started with the membership team three years ago at uh, MLSE and then recently with, with the sales group, uh, and I know you and I agree with this. That first that first meeting really isn't about business. It's about who are you uh, with your new team. It's about who are you and, and who am I, and more really who are you. Maybe a little bit of what you can expect from me as a leader. And something that I've that I've I say I think I say it to everybody, and I probably say it more than once, is that my job as a leader, what I believe, is to help you, help you. Get, re get ready for your next role. And I usually chase it with, I really, really want it to be here. I hope it's here because we have to retain the best people. But if it's not, that, that's okay too, right? Because my, my job is to get you ready for your next role. Um, I'd say secondary to that, I always have believed in the power of goal setting 
and in coming up with a plan on achieving their objectives, KPIs, behaviors, uh, on how to achieve them. So I think the other other part of leadership that I I believe in one of my philosophies is as, as leaders, our job is to set a vision for a team and set goals for our groups. Hold people accountable to creating plans on how to achieve them, included with behaviors, KPIs, all that good stuff, and then move as much shit out of the way as possible. Right? And, 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 and that's where we become protectors of our teams, right? And, and, and consultants to our teams is, is recognizing the shit that's in the way. I'll say maybe shit one more time. And then also helping other people recognize the stuff that's in their way that they don't know that it's in their way yet. And so, you know, I know you're, you're big on servant leadership. I, I believe that these two kind of philosophies that I believe in would kind of nestle in nicely under the, that banner. And so I would say those are the first two. And then, and I, and then recently I've been thinking about org structures. Like you see traditional org structures, right? And there's always like one box at the top and then, and then it cascades like a, like a pyramid, like a triangle. And so when I think about leading, I inverse it. Right. And you, and you put, you know, the people at the top and yourself at the bottom. And that's not to say that like it's a front line or not a front line. It's about just thinking about if you take care of the human beings and you make sure that the, that the human beings have, have very, very clear goals, plans to achieve them, receiving feedback along the way, and you're taking care of them, then the business will take care of itself. So that's three kind of concepts that are, two of them that are pretty defined, and one of them that I'm just kind of toying on with the inverse hierarchy that, um, that I think could, could summarize how I, how I think about leadership. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I mean, you obviously know, you mentioned it, it resonates with me because um, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm amazed at how far you've come along, but I'm not surprised. And, and I knew none of your leadership style. I still don't till today of having this interview, um, but I, I got to see who you were as a person over a good amount of time. Um, and you were that type of person, even when you weren't a manager when I was there at that time was you work with your peers. You work with the people at the stadium. You work with the people on the sales team at TFC, and you help them get shit out of the way. You did that with the supporters. You did right. You're you're always trying to get barriers out of the way to make people successful. That was important, um, and it's not a surprise to me from a leadership perspective. You advance that to say, my job is to help you get where you need to get. Like I hope that's here because we want to train and retain the best, but I also understand. It might not be, and that's okay. I love that you said that because so many leaders get threatened by that. Well, what if I what if I invest in all these resources and they leave us? You know, and there's a there's a thing going on, on the internet where it says, Yeah, well, what if you don't? Right? Like, and, and if you're a strong enough leader and you're doing with that, well, guess what? If you've cascaded it through your team, there's somebody coming up next. You you don't have to worry about losing that person. It sucks. You want to keep talent, but if there's no room for them to grow, that's okay. So I love that you touched on that as well. Um, and I certainly love that you start with connecting, right? I call it a connection meeting. You were calling it like, okay, who are you and who am I and how do we work together? And more who are you than who am I? Um, I love it. Great, great anchors. And, and, and those will continue to evolve for you, I'm sure. I um, can't wait to see where you're at in 10 years. It's going to be crazy. 
the the concept around preparing people for their roles. I've just always believed in, like, my friend Tom has always said, you know, I've known him for a really long time. He says, even Steven. And, and and that's karma, right? That's like you put good energy out there and good energy is going to come back. And so if that person leaves and they leave, like just talking about the great experience that they had at MLSE, this is where I work, or, or with you as a leader, then you never know how that's going to come back to you. A, re- a reference of another great person, a potential deal down the road, you know, from, from the function. And so it's, it's just, you put good energy into people and, and it's going to come back. It's going to come back to you. And so, and it's, again, it's not about you, it's about them, but it, it's, it's better than thinking defensively. Like you said, I've seen that cartoon out there. What if, yeah. what if we, what if we invest in people and they leave or like, what if we don't and they stay? Yeah. I think that's the way it goes. And, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. I'd actually love, and another time, I'd love to jam with you a little bit more on, you know, on, I've read about servant leadership and, and and I've read the articles, but I'd love to spend some time with you just jamming on, uh, on how it's worked for you, how you've made it your own. I know you have a lot of IP out there. I know you have a lot of creative ideas uh, on, on, on how to develop people, a development plan. So as a sidebar, yeah. you know, in the new year, I'd love to spend some time with you and just, and just get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I, and I one, I'm honored that you'd even ask, and two, I'd love to do that because I can talk about that shit all night. <laughs> it's just, it's just, um, again, I I consider myself one of the luckiest people ever for the people I've had the pleasure to report to, um, and I sincerely mean I, I can't understand how you could do it any other way, um, but there are other ways of leading, right? And and when I this book that I'm doing now is like, um, it's not about servant leadership. Because you got to believe in that. You, to your point, you you nailed servant leadership. By the way, like the what Tom had shared with you, even Stephen, right? Like you put out good karma, it'll come back to you. That's servant leadership. Focus all your efforts on your people; they'll improve. How does that not impact your customer? How does that not grow your company? How does that not help your career at some point? But stay there; it'll come back to you. Um, if you believe in that, then you believe in servant leadership. But the frustrating piece I've had is every book. Um, and I shouldn't say this because I haven't read every book, but most of the books I've read in servant leadership that have been impactful to me come from a philosophical point of view um, or a scientific point of view. But like there's a bunch of leaders out there going, okay, I don't know really what it is. And it sounds really huggy huggy. So I'm probably not going to get results. So why would I want to do that? Um, there's no books out there saying, here's, here's a start. Here's five anchors. Here's how you do them. Here's the behaviors that support them. This allows you to start to have the conversation with your team. Um, I'd love to have that dialogue with you sometime, but I brought you on here to talk about you, not me and my book that's coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah I opened this up for you to plug. What do we, what do we even talk about here? this? Thanks, man. <laughs> no, no I, I, I love that you're going down that road naturally. Yeah, you clearly are a servant leader. It's, it's obvious. Um, and it's helped with your success. Talk to me a little bit about your team now and what your accountability is. So, um, I, I mentioned it in the intro. Here you are. You're you're in charge of, you know, sorry. You're you're in charge of the people in charge of generating revenue and giving a great fan experience for some of the biggest sports entertainment properties in the world. Tell me a little bit about how that's going and how you're you're supporting the team to success. That's what I was going to say. I support a great leadership team, and I think you left it out. Argos is one of the teams that uh, that is also 
um, that I, one of the teams that I also have the pleasure of, of working with. So the, yeah, I'm accountable for all of the new business for, and all the, and all the group sales and all the stuff that isn't. I didn't mean to leave out the Argos, just an FYI, full apologies. That wasn't intentional. It's not that I'm an Alouettes fan. No, I'm just teasing. I, <laughs> I actually got to meet Bill Manning out in Guelph when they had a game against Ottawa a couple of years ago through a connection at the university. What a class act that guy is. And Shuey was out there with him at the time, so I got to catch up with Shufel. Um, I Yeah, I love CFL, and, and I tease about the Alouettes. Argos are awesome. That wasn't intentional, by the way. <laughs> oh, I, I would never think. I would. I would never think that that would be. I should have probably told you that earlier. Um, but no harm, no foul. All good. So we have the the teams, and um, we are responsible for new business. Everything except except for the membership, the season tickets. And so, you know, I I could tell you about all the things that we did right before COVID, but I actually joined in February, and then. Oh wow! In, in in March, and so I've I've only seen a month of normal business operations of of this department. So I still have a lot to learn when it comes to you know helping assist these teams and, and helping lead these groups during normal times. What I will say is though that I would say the last nine months in this role has been some of the 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 most proud work that I've been able to be a part of, and. And I guess I, what I would focus on is how do you sell a season ticket for a product? How do you, how do you influence somebody? How do you actually get somebody to say yes during the middle of a pandemic when there's no games happening? Yeah. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about that. And what we believed is we, we needed to come up with a, a low risk and high upside value proposition for our new business prospects. To, to convince them that it was worth putting a deposit on a sale. for And I'm going to say uh, this was focused on TFC and Argos mostly. Um, and also 905. We had great results on 905 New Business in the fall. But how do you get people to buy now when, when there's really no end in sight in, in the pandemic? And so we, we, the, the board was really, really supportive of us with this program, um, as was the executive team. What we were able to do, and we did this with our membership bases, we, we were giving everybody an opportunity, 10% um, uptick next year if they, if they sign up or if they stay with us, if they're a member. So if they, keep, if they stay signed up with us, when we are back to normal, you will be getting a, a credit back to, to spend as you see fit. And so that was the, the upside to getting to generating new business, but we had to come up with a low risk value proposition right away. We couldn't really ask for 25% of a season ticket uh, in, in the fall because it was unreasonable. Mm -hmm. And so what we came up with, we actually stole some ideas from the car industry, right? Zero down, you know, extended payment plans. What we did, we did a 1% down until the schedule comes out. And then when that happens, then we'll get you on a normal payment plan. So that was the low risk part. Right, it was it ended up being twenty dollars a month, and we gave people. We'll be giving people an escape hatch along the way if they if they're no longer interested, or if the, if the if landscape has changed where they don't feel comfortable. That's fine. We'll 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 let them um, we'll let them move on. And so you wouldn't believe it, but and, and again, I can't I can't really share our, our business results, but I'll say our our business results were were stronger than anybody would have imagined. 
And, and so what, what that has done is that it's created a, a really, really energized group of people who believe in what we're doing because a lot of the feedback came from them. What do you need to be successful? What do our customers need to buy in? And I would say as we, as we end our second quarter, our results are so great and our leadership, and our leadership team has done such a great, great job at, at motivating team, coming up with programs, sales programs. Our, 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 leaders, our Argos leadership group had this amazing fantasy month where it was a month-long sales campaign that was, I can't even describe to you how intricate it was as a contest and, and value. And, 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 and Adam Halberstadt, one of our managers, created an Excel web, web uh, spreadsheet that was like dynamic and variable. And it was just like beyond belief. But we've always believed you need to, as leaders, you need to give more to get more. So you can't go out and you can't say, I need everybody to work harder. That's an unreasonable thing to ask. We all think we're working hard. We all are working hard. And so what we need to do as leaders, what we're, we're charged with, was, giving, was motivating a group to perform higher at a given point in time. And I, I believe that the leadership team just done an amazing, just did an amazing job of that. And I feel really... Uh, grateful and blessed to be able to work work with this team over the last nine months. It's been really, really fun. Cool. I, I love the fact that you you uh, you got the feedback from the frontline team, right? You got you, you talked earlier about saying like just get everything they need to be successful out of the way, get the hurdles out of the way, um, and gathering that feedback. That's you know always my big caution is if you're not talking to your team regularly, how are you staying connected to your customer? You know, you might get one team member that says, you know, I want this or I want that. And if it's a one-off, it's, it's good to hear it out. But you're not necessarily strategically going to react to it. But, boy, if you're talking to your team on a regular basis and 10 out of 11 are saying, Anton, buddy, I'm telling you, people don't want to put the money down. They, they don't know where this thing is going. If we could find a way to make it safe for them, we can still get people to commit. If, if you're not talking to your people on a regular basis you're never going to get that feedback and strategically you're going to be offline so i love that you touched on that and i love the whole concept of you got to give more to get more out of your team um i think that's great and 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 lastly i know he's no longer there you know how much of a big richard petty fan i am and i'm sure michael's great too i've just never had the opportunity to meet him um but richard talked a lot about best practicing right and and you mentioned that we got an idea out of another industry and, and then we improved it. It's that whole debate of do we invent or do we innovate, right? And innovation is taking something that exists and making it even better and inventing, starting something from new. Well, boy, when you've got urgency, let's find a way to innovate right now and have an impact, right? So I love that. And, and I love that it, again, it goes back to who you are as a leader, getting that feedback, being open and giving the team what they need, giving the team what they need to succeed versus them helping you succeed. You know, a great leader, you should probably have a conversation with Mark Lira. So he's the one, I remember him jamming with him on, on how do we get, get this happening. He's the one who said, like, let's, let's, let's steal from the car industry. He, he was talking, he was, he was watching television and he told me the story. And I said, absolutely. Like that, that absolutely wasn't my idea. That was his idea. So he, uh, and he and I had a conversation about you and he's interested in, uh, in, in having a conversation with you. So you should, you two should hook up because he's just a phenomenal leader. And you, well, I tell you what is is he with the Marlies? No, he Mark, Mark oversees the Argos, the Marlies, right. and 905. Okay, so him and I connected on LinkedIn. We had a little back and forth after your post. I know right. so many people now that they know I know Anton. It's pretty cool. 
<laughs> you just you just raised my credibility with one post, buddy. Like just being associated with you. But he, um, he reached out. We had a little back and forth. He speaks. Oh, very that's highly. great. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. You guys would you the two of you would would just have just a wonderful dynamic. Amazing. Okay, so uh, you know we're kind of winding down here. You've been really really um, generous with your time. Um, I'm really glad we did this. Uh, but I do have a few questions to close it out that I try and ask on every podcast. So people, you know, the, the 700 downloads that I have over seven podcasts, they're all waiting for this, right? <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a question for you. Yeah. Like before you do your quick fire, I, I need to ask you it. Because yeah. I think, I think, I think um, the, the leadership world needs to know. I'd like to know your perspective on kids and how you evolved as a leader. Um, through your journey of being a father. Wow. Oh, man. Now you're really going to put me on the spot. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It, it's probably one of the areas that I beat myself up a little bit, Anton, in my life. So so there was a couple things. One, um, you know what I went through in, in being previously married and, and getting divorced and, and having two little ones. Um, and that was an emotional crossroad in my life. I knew things had to change, forget about as a parent, just as, just as an adult and a human being. Um, and so that was a, a tough moment. Um, but right now, it's funny, what you'll get trapped in, well, sorry, what I get trapped in as a leader is, I'm so passionate about this stuff, right? So I have a discipline around one-on-ones. You'll hear me talk about inquiry versus advocacy. You'll hear me talk about open-ended questions. Um, let the individual learn and get them to the solution so they can repeat the behavior. Um, but I still struggle to do that with my children. I fall into that trap of saying, just give them the answer, just give them the answer, just tell them what's acceptable and what's not and give it to them and move on because our, our kids are so busy all the time. Uh, and so what I've learned from it, quite honestly, is I'm, I'm still not there as a parent, man. Um, I, got, I got some work to do. Like, I, I, I mean, listen, I love my kids. They're my life. I think this pandemic has been one of the best things that's ever happened for me as a father. Um, I play with my kids two or three hours a day, man. Like we're playing soccer, street hockey, basketball, you name it, like we're mixing it. So, so that experience is there and I'm not trying to beat myself up, but you know, that discipline of, of helping my kids learn versus giving them the answer, it's still a little gap at home. So, so I've learned that it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to adapt the behavior um, fully in your life. And I'm getting there, right? But it, but it's like, there it is. It's right in front of me. Um, Griffin screwed up. I didn't ask him a bunch, of, a bunch of questions. I said, don't do that again and you won't get in trouble. Like, ah, God, is that how kids learn? I don't know. So so I've learned that I still don't know, man. Like, I, I really don't. I, I do tell you that I'm pretty damn proud of who I am as a father. That, that I'll tell you in a heartbeat. Um, but I'm not sure I'm a great one yet. Just like leadership, it's a journey. Right. And so thanks for being vulnerable with that answer. Um, I don't know if you ever fully make it as a, the best leader that you can be. I think we all need to try to aspire to be that. But as soon as we think we're there, you, I think we failed ourselves. So it's, my assumption is I'm only I only have the one little guy. But my assumption is I'm going to fail a lot, but I'm going to keep going. And so I think the, what I'm going to take from you is that, like, it's a journey. And so is, if you think you're the best dad, then you're probably blind to a bunch of other things. Yeah, and, I, and I, I think, listen, you, I've always, I've told you this, I told you before we did this, um, what's always impressed me about you is you as a human being. 
the, the leadership thing's going to come, not naturally, it's hard effort, it's work, it's, it's a conscious choice for you, Anton, to believe in it as much as you do. But you had a head start with being a really good dude from the beginning. Now, I'm not trying to say I was a bad dude. But just, <laughs> I, I've, I've always been, you know, needing to mature and needing to see things. And, and, and the older you get, the easier it is to be harder on yourself, to tell you the truth. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is, you know, as you progress with your children as a parent, I can't, I'm the, I can't even believe I'm giving parenting advice. I'm really not. Here's the observation I've made is, yeah, keep looking for that gap. The same way you look for it as a leader, keep looking for it as a dad or a mom or a sibling or, or whatever, right? Like, cause it's there where people were complex. And as long as we're trying to get better in how we interact with people, then we're doing the right thing. What great advice. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, unsolicited, but I'll give it to you anyways. No, I'm just teasing. It was a little solicited. Um, okay, now you now you got me thrown off. Here comes the rapid fire questions. All right. <laughs> okay. um, what gap do you still need to close as a leader to continue to progress? What's your biggest thing that you're? Doesn't mean you're bad, but what are you going? Hey, if I could get this experience, I can continue to grow. I think, in my opinion, it's about conquering oneself. I think. I think. If you were to give me any leader, ask me any questions about leadership, I'd say mastering oneself is the biggest thing. And I don't, I don't know that I've fully mastered oneself. Um, sometimes I doubt myself. Sometimes I think I'm not good enough. Um, I have to be proactive about coping mechanisms for that. And so I would say that's one of my biggest gaps is is just continually working on 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 myself, not wearing my emotions too much. Um, I think that can affect your group. Yeah, they can read that. And, and so I, I would say master oneself, mastering one's emotions is probably my biggest, one of my biggest ones. Awesome. What would you tell um, people who are coming up, let's say they're the account executive at um, the new and coming sports team in North America? They're in the same role you started in, right? And, and again, Leafs Raptors and then TFC. Um, how would you guide them on seeking support from their boss? So how do they manage up to get the development they're not getting today if they're not? What guidance would you give them to, to get that out of their leader? Set terms of engagement right away. Communicate how you like to be, get feedback. Communicate, make sure that comes the other way. But try to establish like a really great two-way communication with your mentor or your, for, for lack of better words, boss. Yeah. And... And be open to be coached. I have said in the past, and maybe, and maybe it was on me. Maybe the coaching atmosphere wasn't right. Maybe I didn't set it up right. But I've had to, I've had to say in the past to somebody, like, let me know when you're ready to be coached. Like, let me know when you're ready to have this conversation because, you know, that's you have to get into a state of mind there. So I'd say, when a leader's trying to give advice and trying to make you better, it's in, it's in, it's because they're interested and invested in you. And so to sit back and listen and reflect on it and then, and then, and then action it, I think that would be the number one thing. Yeah. It's, it, there's so much, there's so much coaching that can be, that can happen. And if you are totally open to it and you can be critical to it and you can be reflective of it, you can bring back, you know, you know, Anton, you said to this, this to me last week, but I want to have another conversation because I thought about it. Like that's kind of Nirvana, yeah. right? Like yeah. even, even if, if we're, to, if we're dealing with, um, you know, a, a situation where 
we're not agreeing on the coaching. But the fact that there's a conversation about the coaching, that means it was heard. It means it was digested. It was reflected. And there's a point of view created from it. That's awesome. So I would say those things. I, I really love your third one, the open to coach. You know, I, I, I've heard so much stuff through my career um, that's really resonated with me that you almost forget which leader taught you it. So if I'm, if I'm crediting the wrong person, I'm going to feel terrible right now. But it was either Lisa Larder or Jackie Fu at TELUS, I'm pretty sure, who introduced me to the concept of willingness versus knowledge. If you have a knowledge gap, the accountability is on the leader. I got to help close that. I got to get you there. I got to help self-discovery. We got to close that. But if you have a willingness gap and you're not open to feedback and you're not willing to, to, to go down that learning journey, I can't help you. That's, that's not a coaching moment. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm open to be coach is the same thing I've looked at for two decades now. Willingness is knowledge. And it's not always easy, especially if you'd like to be successful. And you see that as only criticism. You don't see it as support and development, right? So really well, that'd be point. a reflection of trust, though. So if it's only seen as criticism and then there were some steps skipped earlier on in the process, that, and which is why I talk about, like, terms of engagement with people, about how to communicate and how they want to be communicated to, right? That's kind of like step two, before, the step after getting to know somebody as a human being. And so, and so, yeah, if, if, if every time, it, you know, feedback is hard or coaching is hard, that, that means we got to, you got to go back and you got to re- repair something or actually address a step that may have been missed along the way. Cause that's a trust gap. Yeah. I, I, it's a, it's a concept I learned 25 years ago at athletes world uh, with a lady by the name of Mary Smith. They, she was the HR director at the time. And Rob Hiscox was the VP of Bata. And they introduced me to the concept of the emotional bank account. And yeah. so, if you're never putting in deposits and it's only withdrawals, it's only negative, it's only negative, you haven't built up a balance in the emotional bank account, that relationship is going to go bankrupt. But if you're, if you're putting in deposits, you're giving support, the person trusts you, they've seen you be there for them. When you got to give them that critical stuff, they're okay because they trust and you still got a balance in the account. So, yeah, it, it's funny, man. D- different times. We have a little age gap between us. I'm saying little because I'm on the higher end, being <laughs> generous. Uh, but it's nice to see that there's some commonalities on, on how people need to be treated to be successful, I believe. Let me leave you with this, man. Um, two things. Well, I'm going to leave you with one thing and then I close up. Um, what would you tell someone? I don't want to give you the corny, what would you tell Anton 10 years ago? Like It's been asked a million times. What would you tell someone who wants to be in your position today? but is starting where you started in general. What would you tell them to, that would allow them to grow? I think I said it right from the beginning. I think it's try to understand yourself really, really, really well. And this isn't about like focusing on oneself, but I think in, until you understand yourself, how you tick, what motivates you, it's really, really tough to lead people. And it's really tough to, to not recognize your leadership gaps. And so being able to, to know who you are, what you represent, what your values are, how you learn, all of that, I think, is stuff that you can, you can start gathering while you're building your credibility on the function side to get that role. And then at the same time, the more you're learning about yourself, you can probably recognize in other people. So while you're getting that, fun, that functional um, credibility, you're also starting to get that leadership credibility because the things you're learning on yourself may actually, about yourself, may actually start helping others. You may ask interesting questions about other people, not, not 
not overstepping and, and, and trying to lead them, but just care about them. Um, maybe you can generate some influence that way. And maybe you can generate some leadership credibility of that way while you're working over on here, trying to be the best you, you could be selling the best, whatever you are doing or whatever function you're at. So I'd say mastering oneself. I have like, I'm looking at right here. Every once in a while I look at, I have this Tilbury leadership advisors book where it's like a hundred pages on what I'm, what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And I'd say I open it every, I don't know, two months or so. And just to kind of have a refresh about what my gaps could be. Have I addressed them? So um, you don't need to go and have, you know, this fancy binder. If you're, if you, if you want, there are tons of personality tests out there that you could do for free. Um, there's the one with the little, with the little fairy tale creatures. I'm not sure what it, what it's called, but you can look it up and, and, and I'm a, I think I'm a, a, a pioneer in, in that one. Hmm. But there's, if you were to go and look up the online personality tools, there's tons that you can get for free. There's Strengths Finder, which costs you $20. And so I'd say invest in understanding oneself and mastering oneself is a great start while you're building functional credibility within your roles. Love it. Self-awareness. So yeah. It's a big part of the path, and, and it takes a long time to really get there and be honest with yourself. Um, I love the whole um, – the whole analysis on yourself and um, have you ever done 360? Of course. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. Cause that's a big one, right? Because like I've done the discs and uh, Myers Briggs, I think is what we did at fusion. And, and it's funny, some of those organizations that do those discipline, what they don't do and they really should invest in it as to add another layer is when a leader gets there, get that feedback anonymously from everyone around them. Because I got to tell you, that's the hardest feedback to take, but it's the most valuable. Every time I get a 360, you know, and, and there's two or three themes with me that are still sticking around with me 20 years later, it pisses me off because I'm like, I thought I was better than that. Like, I thought I fixed that. Like, damn it, they don't know me. No, actually they do because they all told me that. So like, I've got to still fix this behavior. So yeah, I'd add in 360s into that of are always critical because it's the team, it's the partners, it's who you report to. And man, there's objectivity there, right? Like here's who you are and this is how you show up whether you believe it or not. I'm a big fan of the 360 as well. I think I've had two or three of them in the last five years. And so I'm, I'm with you there. The thing about gaps, there's certain, if I were to comment on your comment about that still being, whatever that is, is still there. Yeah, it's, fr it's frustration when things don't go my way. And it's gone from declaring it verbally to what shows up now for me, Anton, specifically, is I'm pretty high energy. Like, I, I, I'm enthusiastic. I like to see people succeed, and I'm vocal about that. And my body language screams it. Um, so now I know that i got to be careful when I'm off, off track with someone's idea or where an organization is going. So what I do is I don't say anything negative anymore, but the body language drops, right? And people are like, I know when you're pissed off because you stopped talking. Oh, okay, so I've progressed a little bit. Instead of yelling and screaming about it or getting frustrated and not getting my way, at least now I'm quiet about it. So there's there's a progression. But but people observe your behaviors and they're like, Pedipa's not on board because he's not happy, I can tell. He's usually enthusiastic and supportive and he's quiet. Like those are the things that come out of those 360s. But isn't, aren't, aren't you, aren't we at a certain point hardwired to be a certain way? And we need to recognize certain traits of us as a human being because we are who we are and then be able, and instead of changing, being able to pick up on it faster yeah. 
and then incorporate coping mechanisms to address it. I, I do think, I do fundamentally believe that we are human beings and we are who we are. And there's, there's certain seismic changes that can happen in our life that would, that could change our perspectives, but more or less, you know, you're, you're probably going to be frustrated when things don't go your way for the next 50 years, right? 50 year old millennial. So, yeah. and so I don't know, to me, it's about accepting that, but also having a coping mechanism and closing the gap between activating that coping mechanism and realization of the way that you're feeling. Yeah. So what you should be hard upon yourself, if you're going to be hard upon yourself, and I don't suggest that you do that, but if you're going to narrow the gap, on how long it takes for you to in, to put in yeah. a coping mechanism. Yep, yep, well said. Hey, listen, you should like have a podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to find, this may be my one and one and only one because I- Are you kidding me, man? You'd be awesome. And, and, you, and you've got some musical talent. You could jam on the guitar for entertainment too, right? I love this thing. This thing brings me so much joy. I think I, I fundamentally believe that you need to have simple things in your life to bring you joy just for moments like this, just for moments when we're in the middle of a pandemic and I can't go to a restaurant or, or go on a trip, which I'm privileged enough to be able to have done. Now, if I need to be cheered up or a little bit of joy, I play that or I go outside and I build a fire on Saturdays with my son. And most yeah, that was awesome. That's a nice little tradition that you have that we were talking about before we started this call. That's awesome. Hey, listen, it's like anything in life. If you can find the positives in it, you can move through it, right? You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting to observe human beings and how they're dealing with the pandemic right now. And I won't get into that because it's like such a fractured view of things. And I'm at one end of the spectrum and certain people are at the other. Um, and one's not right or wrong, right? But, but I do believe, uh, and I always have, life's what you, what you make it, man. So are you, are you going to make it a shit show or are you going to make it something that you're learning from when things are tough? Um, and it gets you coming on the podcast is, you know, just a reflection of who you are. And, and I know that's probably awkward for you a little bit, but I'll tell you, people respect you and they admire you. And so if that's one thing you need to continue to have an impact um, as you continue to be granted the opportunity to influence and support people, don't lose sight of the fact that people respect you for what you're doing um, and, and keep being you. So really, really appreciate you doing this this evening. And, uh, you know, if, if the media request becomes too huge now after being on my podcast, like just reach out. I can get you some support. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be looking for an agent. We'll, we'll negotiate the terms on that. After. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been great chatting with you. Um, yeah. It's a pleasure, Mark. And have a great holiday season and, and best to Jody and the kids. Yeah, you as well, buddy. Cheers. Cheers.